Cap. Uh, today we're talking about seeking the Lord. And the last few times I've been up here and preached, uh, we've been talking about this subject and why it's so important to seek the Lord, why it's so important to seek God's heart. And we find this is a, it's a biblical principle found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there are some incredible benefits that are attached to seeking God. So if you seek the Lord, there are so many benefits and blessings that God gives when you do that. And, and if you were here during the first week, we talked about how there is peace for the believer. There is peace for those that seek God and seek him continually. And we've been looking at a couple of chapters in 2 Chronicles. We started in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, looking at the, the life and the uh, reign, the kingly reign of a man named Asa, who is the king of Judah. And uh, Chronicles, it's a retelling, it's a history book, a, a, a story, if you will, of actual historical events that took place. And so someone actually took the time to write these historical events down. And, and I love that God included it in his words so that we can look at it, learn from it, and benefit from it. And so we looked at King Asa and the peace that he had when he sought God. And, and then week two, we talked about how for those who seek God, there is strength. There is strength. God gives strength to those that seek God. And then the last time I came and spoke with you, we talked about how those who seek God will understand God's will. And that was awesome. That was good. It's incredible to know that we can actually understand the will of God if we seek him. He will make it known to us. He will reveal his will to us because he's just that good. I keep saying it over and over this morning. He is that good. And so today we're going to keep along the lines of seeking God. And today the, the topic is those who seek God will experience God's grace. We will see and experience God's grace in the land. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Chronicles. Uh, we're actually going to start in chapter 18, 2 Chronicles 18. And if you have the Bible app on your phone, I want to encourage you to pull that out because that's going to be a great resource for you to have today. Uh, just get, pull up the Bible app on your phone, click the very bottom right-hand button uh, that says more, and then click on a button that says events. And it will find this service right here. You click on Calvary Tabernacle, and there's going to be a lot of notes, a lot of our Bible references that we're going to uh, reference today. <laughs> and uh, it'll pull it all right there in your phone. You can save it to your phone so you can go back and study more in depth later. It's a great tool to have. So I want you to do that if you've got that with you. So we're going to pick up in chapter 18. And if you remember, the last time we spoke, we, we kind of concluded Asa's life. We read about the end of Asa's life. Uh, we see that Asa loved God and he sought God. And I love that Second Chronicles, it gives us this, this detailed look at how Asa sought God. Now, it could have just said, no, Asa loved the Lord. But it doesn't. It says Asa sought God the Lord. And there, there's a difference there because you can love the Lord. You can love an idea about God, but there's a difference when you start to seek God. You start to seek his, his kingdom in your life. You start to seek out his word. You start to seek out his presence. Something opens up in the believer's heart when you start to seek God. And we see at the end of Asa's life, he kind of lapsed on that. He kind of fell back into worldly things and worldly temptations. And the end of the chapter, uh, I believe it's chapter 17, uh, ch chapter 16 or 17, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, it tells us that he quit seeking the Lord and he developed this foot disease that apparently got so bad it ended up taking his life. Now, I don't know how bad a foot disease has to be 
to kill a person, but apparently it was pretty bad. And the Bible tells us that, in, in, not exactly in these words, but if you go back and read it, it gives us this idea that if he would have just sought the Lord, he would have been healed. It tells us that he only sought the help of his physicians and not the Lord, so he died. And so we see there that seeking the Lord has a lot of benefits added into it. Well, the next chapter picks up, chapter 17, and it tells us that his son, Jehoshaphat, took over his place as king, and he began his reign. And the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for you. It says, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's early years and did not worship the images of Baal. Check this out. He sought his father's God and obeyed his commands instead of following the evil practices of the kingdom of Israel. So here's the result of that. So the Lord established Jehoshaphat's control over the kingdom of Judah. All of the people of Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat, so he became very wealthy and highly esteemed. He was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. He removed the pagan shrines and Asherah poles from Judah. So we see here that Jehoshaphat, we, we, we get this incredible example from his father Asa, and then now Jehoshaphat, I love seeing that he, he didn't take up his father's evil practices, he didn't focus on those. Apparently, growing up, Jehoshaphat noticed the success of his father's kingship, and he attributed that to his father having sought the Lord. And so Jehoshaphat, he, I, I can imagine just looking at his father figure and saying, man, there, he, he messed up here and he messed up there, but he got something right. He sought the Lord. And I love that Jehoshaphat took up that example, as it says, of his father's early years, and he sought the God of his father. That's incredible. That's incredible. But... Jehoshaphat too, he had some issues. He had some, prob some problems. He had some failures in his life. And if I were to ask you, anybody in this room, if you have ever failed in your life, I guarantee you every single person here could raise their hand and say, hey, it's me, I've failed. And so I feel like I can relate so well to Jehoshaphat because although he loved God and sought God, there's going to be times that we're going to read about in a moment where he failed, he slipped up, he made a mistake. And so many of us Christians, whenever we fail, whenever we stumble, it, we, for some reason we just have this mentality that it's over. It's, I'm done. I'm a goner. God's going to write me off. Go ahead, Lord, put me under. My life is over. We're, we're kind of dramatic, aren't we? As a people, we're just kind of dramatic. But I love that we're not the only ones who've ever felt this way. We see it even in Paul. He tells us in Romans, he's writing a, a letter to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 7, he says this, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. Someone say, that's me too. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. I can relate. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. 
In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Well, that's pretty relatable. <laughs> we see somebody say, I, I love God with all of my heart, but there's also this other part of me that wants to do what the flesh wants to do. There's this other part of me that continually messes things up over and over and over again. I know what I need to do, but I don't do it. And I know what I don't need to do, but I find myself doing that. I love Paul's wording here. It's just so down to earth. And I can relate to it so well. And so today, we want to talk about how those that seek God, for those that seek God, there is grace. Someone say grace. Grace. The Bible tells us that grace is the unmerited, unearned favor of God. I don't know about you, but I want God's favor in my life. I want God's favor in every area of my life. I need his grace. Someone say grace. Grace. So Jehoshaphat, he loved the Lord. He sought the Lord. The Bible tells us in chapter, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 17, it tells us of some of Jehoshaphat's life. He was doing good. He was rocking and rolling, doing good things. And then he got invited to a banquet with the king of Israel. Now, i got to give you just a little bit of geography real quick. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and Ahab was the king of Israel. Judah and Israel were once one. They were just Israel at one point, but of course we know how nations do. They, they get different political opinions, and, and they have differences in, in every area of life and every area of culture, and we see that, that nations and peoples, they split we saw it with Brexit, how that happened, and, and now they're talking about Texas and all of these other things. We, we see that nations and peoples, they will split, and that's what happened with this kingdom of Israel. So now you've got one kingdom that's been divided into two. The nation of Israel now is to the north, and Judah is to the south, and we're following the king of uh, uh, Judah, which is Jehoshaphat. He's invited to a party in the neighboring rival country of Israel, and what does he do? Help me out here. A quiet church is a, come on, help me out. A quiet church is a, we're not a dead church. I need you to talk back to me. What is he, he gets invited to the party. What does he do? Does he go or does he stay? He goes. Come on, he goes. He goes to the party. He's there in the banquet with King Ahab, and we see this is what happens right here. Uh, as they're there at the banquet, King Ahab asks this question in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, starting in verse 3. He says this to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me? To Ramoth Gilead, King Ahab of Israel, asked King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Jehoshaphat replied, well, of course I will go. You and I are as one, and my troops are your troops. We will certainly join you in battle. Then Jehoshaphat added, but first, let's find out what the Lord says. So he's at this banquet. The king of Israel says, hey, this, this Ramoth Gilead over here, they are getting on my ever-loving nerves. I just kind of want to go attack them. You want to go with me? And Jehoshaphat, he's in a place that he doesn't belong. He's dining with people that he shouldn't be with, and he's invited into a battle that he doesn't belong in. And so he's entertaining these thoughts, and he tells Ahab, he says, hey, man, absolutely, we'll go with you. We'll go fight this stupid battle. It doesn't have anything to do with me, but hey, I'm with you. Let's go. Let's go fight. But first, let's ask God and see what he thinks. And so this story keeps going and developing. It's a great story. Y'all should go back and read this. This is some good stuff. Uh, it's, it's an exciting read, actually. And 
it goes on to tell us that King Ahab, he called in all these false prophets, and they said, yes, you need to go into battle. That's what God says. And, and King Jehoshaphat says, hey, isn't there one of the Lord's prophets here? Isn't there one of the God's prophets here in Israel that we can talk to? And King Ahab says, yeah, there's this one guy, but every time he comes, he prophesies, and it's bad news for me. I don't know if you've ever felt like that before, like every prophetic word you've ever heard someone give over your life, you're like, ouch, that kind of hurts. I don't know. But he said, every time, every time. So Jehoshaphat says, man, that's not a way the king should think. Bring him in. Let's see what he has to say. So this prophet comes in, and I love that the Bible, in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, it tells us this story. The prophet comes in, and they say, hey, should we go and fight, or should we just stay here? And the prophet says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, King Ahab, you should definitely go and fight this battle. God will give you victory. The Bible says he said it very sarcastically. So much so that King Ahab said, man, what didn't I tell you? If you come in here, you better tell me only God's words. He's trying to make himself look good. And so the prophet said, if you go into battle, you're going to die. And Israel will be like sheep in the mountains without a shepherd. And Ahab blows his top. He gets mad. He throws the prophet in jail. He says, watch, whenever I come back from this battle, we'll see that you are the false prophet. But let's see what happens. 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 28. It says, So King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah led their armies against Ramoth-Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, As we go into battle, I will disguise myself so no one will recognize me. But you wear your royal robes. Wow. I, I don't know how else to say this, but have you ever really loved Jesus, but felt like an idiot? I can imagine that's Jehoshaphat right here. Like, he loves Jesus. He's heard the word of God, and the king Ahab's like this. Hey, listen, I know they're going to come for me, so I'm not going to dress in my royal robes, but yeah, you go ahead and dress in yours, and Jehoshaphat's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't get it. I love this. So, so the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. Meanwhile, the king of Aram, which was uh, Ramoth-Gilead, had issued these orders to his chariot commanders. He said, attack only the king of Israel. Don't bother with anyone else. So when the Aramean chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat in his royal robes, they went after him. There's the king of Israel, they shouted. Check this out, church. But Jehoshaphat called out, and the Lord saved him. Someone say grace. God helped him, someone say grace, by turning the attackers away from him. As soon as the chariot commanders realized he was not the king of Israel, they stopped chasing him. An Aramean soldier, check this out, an Aramean soldier, however, randomly shot an arrow at the Israelite troops, and it just so happens that it hit the king of Israel, Ahab, between the joints of his armor. Turn the horses and get me out of here, Ahab groaned to the driver of the chariot. I'm badly wounded. And the battle raged all that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in the chariot, facing the Arameans. And in the evening, just as the sun was setting, he died. Wow. 
Now let's jump over to 2nd Chronicles chapter 19. Starting in verse 1, it says, When King Jehoshaphat of Judah arrived safely at home in Jerusalem, like a dog with his tail tucked between his legs. I think God should have put that in there right there. <laughs> it, it would fit. Jehu, the son of Hanani the seer, went out to meet him. Why should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? He asked the king. Because of what you have done, the Lord is very angry with you. Wow. Even so, there is some good in you. For you have removed the Asherah poles throughout the land, and you have committed yourself to seeking God. Someone say, seeking God. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, but he went out among the people, traveling from Bathsheba, or Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, encouraging the people to return to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Number one, grace looks like discipline. Grace looks like discipline. I can imagine, if you're anything like me, then the one sentence that stuck out the most in this was when the prophet Jehu comes to Jehoshaphat and he tells them this, the Lord is very angry with you. Have you ever felt like that as a Christian? Like you love God, you want to seek his kingdom, you want to seek his heart and seek his face, but you have a failure, you have a mistake in your life, you listen to the wrong people, you do the wrong things, and then all of a sudden you just feel, man, God is angry with me. Am I the only person that's, I mean, can we be real? Can we be honest with each other this morning? If you're anything like me, you felt this way too. God must be so angry with me right now. I don't even feel like I can pray to him right now because I feel like he's, he would just be mad at me. I, I don't even want to really go to worship on Sunday morning because I'm going to feel like such a hypocrite for raising my hands and singing because I know God is going to be angry with me. That's the way we feel. That's the the mindset that we have. But can I tell you this? The discipline of the Lord is good. God's discipline is good. And sometimes, whenever we just want grace, sometimes what we really need is is discipline. But here's the cool thing about it. God's discipline is also God's grace in our lives. You remember whenever he was in the battle and and everyone started chasing him because he's got his royal robes on, he called out to the Lord and the Lord saved him. Someone say grace. And he turned, he helped him by turning his attackers away. Someone say grace. And he gets back home with his tail tucked between his legs like an old sad puppy who just chewed up the the couch and, and the prophet comes out and says, hey, God is angry with you. Listen to me, that is still grace. We need God's discipline in our life. I think so many times we hear this word discipline and we think of it in a negative sense. But let me tell you, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. God's discipline is good. It is good. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus is is telling this to his disciples. He says this, I am the true grapevine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. 
You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I love how he says it like two or three times. Like, hey, you you really need to grasp this concept. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. So I brought my little tree here. And whenever we think of this word discipline, it could, we, we get this negative feeling, this negative idea, this negative concept, because discipline hurts. I grew up with a mother and a father that believed in discipline with a paddle. Let me tell you, discipline hurts. And then whenever I got to the age where a paddle didn't hurt as much as it used to, they would ground me until I was blue in the face. And let me tell you what, as a young teenager without my phone, discipline hurts. I'm telling you. And I, we, we think of this image that God gives us. He says, Jesus tells us that the gardener comes and he finds the branches that aren't producing fruit. And he, he cuts them off. And he pulls them out. And he looks all around, and if there's a piece that's not producing, he's going to trim it back because a healthy tree should be producing fruit. And we feel whenever God disciplines us and he goes to snipping away at those dead things in our life, those things that are just harboring rot and disease in our life, he goes to cutting them off and we're like, ow! Oh, God, stop, that hurts. I know it's not good for me. I know it's not doing me any good there, but it hurts when you cut like that. It hurts when you take those pruners to my life like that. But do you remember why Jesus says the gardener prunes the tree? So that it will produce more fruit. It will produce more fruit. Here's what Jehoshaphat learned when he comes back and Jehu, the prophet, says, hey, God is very angry with you. Jehoshaphat, you can read later on in this chapter, he, he starts appointing judges to go throughout the land and to judge fairly, and he tells them this. He says, judge fairly. Judge according to the word of God. Judge like if God was standing right before you. That's how you need to judge so that God will not be angry with you. We see later on that he learned this lesson. I don't want God to be angry with me, so I'm going to let him prune in my life. And whenever those words come in and that discipline comes in, I'm going to take it, even though it hurts Even though it doesn't feel good, I'm going to let him prune because I know that he knows what's best and he knows what's going to be good for my life and what's going to produce fruit inside of me. Listen, we have to destroy this mentality that God's discipline is bad. It might hurt, but that doesn't mean it's bad. God's discipline is good. 
And let me tell you, it's good for you. And at the time, it doesn't feel like it. But we have to remember, God, if you're disciplining me for anything right now in my life, I pray that my mind would be open to it, that my heart would receive it. Lord, that I wouldn't run away from your discipline, but I would accept it because I know it's going to produce something in me. That's the mentality that we should have. I love this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. There we go. Sorry about that, y'all. We'll get it figured out. I love this. He says, don't give up when the Lord corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us. Come on. Someone say, it's always good so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline's enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Someone say, his discipline is good. It's good. We see in 2 Chronicles 18, it goes on to say, so Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem. In other words, once he got to Jerusalem, he didn't venture out beyond Judah again. He didn't entertain the king of Israel again. He stayed right there where he was at. He learned his lesson. He accepted his discipline, and he moved forward. Someone say, move on. Move on. Here's point number two. Grace is God's character. So grace looks a lot like discipline. But here's the beautiful thing about grace. Grace is God's character. And here's the promise that if you will seek him, you will experience his grace. You will experience his character. Whenever I was reading through this portion of scripture and I read that God was angry with Jehoshaphat, I felt it. And I mean, I felt it deeply. And it took me rereading it and rereading it, reading through it again several times before I realized all of the grace that happened in that same portion of Scripture. See, because here's the thing. We train ourselves to look at the negative. We train ourselves to look at what's wrong, and we tend to overlook what's good. But here was the, the word from the prophet. He said, listen, 
Because of what you've done, God is very angry with you. Even so, there is some good in you. See, this is what, we ha- what happens. I-, I don't know why we do this, church. Help me figure this out. Whenever God comes at us with the pruners, we think, oh, no, this is going to hurt. This is going to be so bad. This is going to be terrible. There's another one. I missed it. It's going to be so terrible. So you know what we do? We do what every rational Christian with clear thinking would do. We're like, okay, let's just get it over with. God, please don't don't cut away at me. I'll go ahead and chop myself down, but please don't go. <laughs> do you do you see where do you see where we're coming from here? We tend to look at the negative. We tend to look at the tree and think, man, it's all over for me. I can't do it anymore. I've messed up. God won't accept me. He's angry with me. Let me go ahead and chop myself down. See, we're really good with an ax, but let me tell you what, our God is good with some pruning shears because he doesn't look at everything that's wrong and overlook what's good. Let me listen. I cut several of these little bitty branches. You can't even hardly see them up here on the floor, but look how much good is there. I mean, look at it. It's still green. It's still thriving. And we will overlook all of that and look at that one little mistake in our lives. And we'll say, God, don't even bother with me. I'll go ahead and take care of it myself. Church, please don't do that. Please don't do that. I've, I've done it so many times. Please don't do that. Because here's the truth. God is a lot better with pruners than you are with an ax. And what you think you're, you're helping God in, you're hurting yourself. We need to accept the Lord's discipline because the Lord's discipline is good for us. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline because God disciplines those he loves. Someone say, he loves me. He loves me. So good. So good. We tend to look and see these words, God is angry with you. Listen, church, if you came here this morning and you felt those words in your heart, can I encourage you today? Can you please take at least a little bit of encouragement from me? Listen, God loves you. And if you feel that he's angry with you, Just say, hey, I'm going to accept that as God's discipline. I'm going to pick myself up. I'm not going to chop myself down. I'm going to go ahead and let that little pruning take place here and there where it needs to be done. But I am going to keep moving forward because God sees the good in me. Someone say, he sees the good in me. I love this. And this is why God's grace is such a a defining part of his character. Because to us, his grace is unearned. It's unmerited. Listen, you can't buy it with all the money in the world. You can't earn it with any action that you do. And you cannot deserve it by any title or prestigious uh, quality that you may ever have. It is a free gift from God. So we just need to receive it. Someone say, I'm going to receive his grace. Come on. Grace is the character of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But he gave it because he loves us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 
It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. I hope you feel encouraged this morning. Because it's really easy to want to go ahead and take the axe and start chopping away at yourself. But we need to know as God's people that we serve a gracious God. And here's the thing. If you seek God, not only will you enjoy the benefits of his grace, but you will get to experience his grace. Look what I mean uh, right here in Exodus chapter 33. It says this. Moses is speaking to God. He says this. If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. This is, this is what Moses is saying. He's saying, God, God, God was telling them, hey, I will go before you. I will drive out your enemies from the promised land. But Israel, you have been so rebellious. You have been so backwards and twisted. I will go and clear the way for you. And then you can come in. But I will not stay there with you. I will not go in with you. I will make a way so that you can have what I've promised. But I will not be with you because you've been so wicked. And Moses, this is his reply, don't, no, God, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this wilderness. I don't know if you've ever felt like you're just running around in circles, wake up in the morning, make your coffee, get in your car, go to work, work all day. If your replacement doesn't come in, you work all night. Then you finally get to go home and take a shower, eat some dinner if you are not too tired. Then you go to bed. And the really cool thing is, is you get to wake up and do it all again the next day. Right? Have you ever felt like you're in the wilderness? Like, God, I feel like I'm just wandering around like there's really no point to this. Listen, this is what Moses is saying. He's saying this, God, I would rather stay right here in this big old circle if you're with me, than to go into the wonderful things that you have promised me if you're not going to be there. God, I would rather be with you than with what you've promised me. Church, that is someone who seeks God. That is the heart of someone who seeks God. And then God has this dialogue with them. And, and finally, Moses, he speaks to God and he says, God, in Exodus 33, 18, he says this, show me your glorious presence. I want to see the benefits of your grace, but God, I would rather experience your grace where I'm at than just receive the benefits of what your hand can do. Check this out. Psalms chapter 103, starting in verse 7, it says this. He revealed, God revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. It's really easy to just read past that, but please hear me. It says he revealed his character to Moses, but his deeds to Israel. I want you to notice this. Moses and Israel, they all experienced the grace of God, but God only revealed his grace to Moses because Moses sought the Lord. Israel was wicked and rebellious, but Moses wanted the presence of God in his life. Here's the beautiful thing. Even a sinner, even an unrepentant sinner can experience the grace of God or can, can 
enjoy the benefits of the grace of God, but only those who seek God will begin to experience the character that is the grace of God. Come on, that's good. It goes on to tell us this in Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. It's talking about his character. He's slow to get angry, and he's filled with unfailing love. I think someone here needs to hear this part. He will not constantly accuse us, Ooh. nor remain angry forever. He do- Check this out. Look at this grace. He does not punish us for all our sins. Wow. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Come on. The Lord is like a father to his children. He keeps on going. He's tender and compassionate to those who fear him. It keeps on going. For he knows how weak we are. It keeps on going. He remembers that we're only dust. Our days on earth are like grass. He knows that our lives are like wildflowers. We bloom and we die. He understands that the wind blows and we're gone and as, and, uh, as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. Church, this is good. This is good. This is good stuff. See, I don't just want to experience the benefits of his grace. I want to experience the character of his grace. I want to know his heart behind why he extends his grace in my life. That's good. Mm. Jehoshaphat, he understood that. He made some mistakes. And he experienced the discipline of God. But he understood that God's character was good and that the discipline of God is full of grace. So here's the last thing, and we'll close. God's grace should make us bold. God's grace should make us bold. I don't know if you noticed this whenever we were reading it a moment ago, but King Jehoshaphat, he, he comes back into Jerusalem. He gets this scathing rebuke from God. God is angry with you. And I would feel like such a, a, a terrible failure. But Jehoshaphat, he receives that correction from God. And then the Bible tells us that he lived in Jerusalem, but he traveled throughout Judah teaching the people. Imagine the king going from town to town, every small village, standing up and teaching the people the things of God and encouraging them to return to the Lord. Wow, what an incredible picture. Imagine if our president were to go from town to town, not on a campaign tour, but to tell people, hey, we need to return to the Lord. Wow. How incredible would that be, church? And this is coming from a guy who just entertained wickedness in a place he shouldn't have been, with a people he shouldn't have been with, participating in a battle that he did not belong. And he comes back home. He accepts that correction, that discipline, that rebuke. And he gets up from it. And he goes out 
as bold as a lion from town to town. And I can imagine his story was this. Y'all know where I've been. You know what I've done. You know my mistakes and my failures. It's national news, but I'm here to tell you that we have a gracious God, one that will allow us to pick ourselves up or, or to pick us up from our mistakes and that we can be bold as lions and go out and share the good news of God. This is what he's done in my life, church. He's a God of grace. Hebrews 4, verse 15, it says this, This high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly, someone say boldly, to the throne of our gracious God. I love that he used that characteristic of God to explain him in this moment. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find, come on, we will receive his mercy and we will find to help us when we need it the most. Let me tell you, if you have failed, if you have messed up, And if you're still holding that guilt and that shame and that regret, and if you still carry it around with you like baggage, can I encourage you today to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Go boldly to the throne of God. And sometime this week, just get alone. Set a time in your week if you have to. Get alone and just say, God, I'm bringing this shame that I've carried around for all of these years. I failed. I made a mistake. I understand that. I accept your correction. I accept your discipline, God. Do what you need to do in my life, but I'm not going to carry around this shame anymore because you told me in your word that I can come to your throne boldly and I will find mercy and grace when I need it the most. And then here's this last bit of encouragement I want to give you from Proverbs 24, verse 16. Y'all, this, this verse literally changed my life. It says, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. I've read the, the entire Bible over multiple times through. And sometimes you go back and you read something, and you may have read it several times, tens, hundreds of times maybe. And then the Holy Spirit will just kind of point it out one day, one little part that you've read a ton of times. He'll just kind of, you know, oh, hey, by the way, there's that. This is what happened to me one time when I was reading this. I was reading the godly may trip up seven times, but they'll get up again. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit's like, read that again. The godly may trip seven times, but they'll get up again. Read it again. The godly may, oh, the godly may trip seven times. God, I thought I was a failure in your eyes. Ooh, (laughs) I thought I was a mistake that you had made. Come on. But you're telling me here in your word that even the godly, May trip seven times? I want you to understand this today. Tripping up has nothing to do with whether or not you are godly. 
even this man Jehoshaphat, an incredible example in the word of God, he tripped up too, even though the Bible says that he was fully committed to the Lord. He still messed up. He still made mistakes. But he understood that if I seek God, I will find his grace in the land that I'm living. Listen, getting tripped up has nothing to do with whether or not you're godly. Getting back up is what determines whether or not you're godly. Come on. Come on. Mm. I love it. So many times, we, I've heard it as a youth pastor so many times. Well, I, I want to go to church, but the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. Bunch of hypocrites. You ever heard that before? <laughs> Maybe you've invited someone. They haven't been to church in a long time. Well, I don't go because brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, I know how they live outside of church. And I go to church, and I see them raising their hands. Listen, being a Christian doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Being a Christian means you understand that you need Jesus. And you understand that there is grace for those who seek God. So this week, I want to encourage you to do this. If you've taken notes, write this down. If you, if you haven't started taking notes yet, pull out your phone and, and uh, set a reminder on your phone. I, I'm serious. Do it. Go ahead and do it. It's going to be great. Do this. Sometime this week, pick a day. I don't care when. Doesn't matter when. Pick a day this week. And I want to encourage you to study Psalms 103. Psalm 103. It's what we read earlier about God is gracious and compassionate, merciful, tender, like a good father with his children. Study that this week. Read it every day if you have to, to remind yourself that even though you may feel like a failure, we have a God who is gracious. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the encouragement that you constantly give us. And Lord, we, we, today we want to even accept the discipline that you give us. And we, we want to thank you for that too. God, we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we just looked over and ignored the things that are wrong in our life. God, we want to acknowledge those things this morning and say, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me for those things that, that, that I've done. Please forgive me for those mistakes that I constantly make. I don't want to live with that. I don't want to live like that. I want to live with you. I want to live in your presence. I want to be a seeker of God. Help me to understand, to know, and to experience your graceful character in my life this week. In Jesus' name. Come on, someone say amen. Amen, amen. I love you so much, church. Have a wonderful day.